welcome to Slice of Wine, the podcast that gives you snippets of the people, places, and innovations behind the barrel. I'm your host, Amy Cronin, and today I'm speaking with the lovely Miss Montana Ray Niley. Hello, Montana. Hi, Amy. I'm so happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the show. So Montana is a Colorado-based wine influencer, writer, and advocate of the discovery of wines, um, who recently launched a new company, The Wine Ship. Um, so I'm very excited to hear all about the new venture. But before we talk about The Wine Ship, I want to understand how you got to this place. How did you become the captain of the ship? <laughs> I love it. So yes, uh, December, we're here in December marks six months of business for the wine ship. But I've been in the wine industry for about 10 years now. Um, a little longer if you count my stint after college and bartending. And that's actually I think how a lot of you know, I think a lot of people in this business, that's how we get into the wine business, you start working on premise, you're a bartender or server or something like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after I, I went to college, I yes, I studied design in college. I went to the Art Institute of Colorado um, and I got a degree in interior design. My dream was to design restaurants and I graduated at the height of the Great Recession. So there weren't exactly a whole bunch of hospitality, <laughs> exciting, glamorous new jobs <laughs> available. So I did what um, what a lot of people do, which is I started bartending. Well, I did work for an architect for a little under a year and then I left that job because I didn't want to just be drafting. So much to my parents' chagrin, I decided to go make drinks for people instead. And I also taught yoga during that time and it was, you know, kind of a classic early twenties type of career yeah. thing. <laughs> you know, but you burn out from being behind the bar, getting done at three o'clock, you're drinking too much, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I uh, I would notice salespeople coming in because I didn't really understand how the, the liquor industry worked at that time, but I would see people coming in, dragging the bag, showing spirits. Um, and I thought, you know, I could do that, but I preferred wine. I'd grown up on wine at home and it was, uh, I grew up in Aspen. So I, the whole time I was, you know, when I was a teenager, I'd see the Aspen food and wine festival going on. I'm like, I want to go to that. <laughs> That's the place I want to be. <laughs> We've talked about that too. And, and all the fun memories from that event, because I did make my way there over the years. So, so after bartending, I did take a job as a wine rep. I worked for a very small uh, distribution company that I was only there for about 10 months. It was the pay was awful. Yeah. My first day, the guy gave me a stack of unpaid invoices and was like, go collect this money. I'm like, oh my God. And I thought that was normal. You know, I was like, this yeah. is, this business is crazy, which it is. Um, but thankfully, uh, over time I went to work for a better distributor, a bigger distributor, but still boutique wines, great portfolio. Um, and I worked for them as a sales rep for about a year. And I didn't know very much about wine at the time, so I was making um, wine lists for my for my customers using my design background because that's what I did know how to do. And so I was doing better and making more sales. I was I was only selling to restaurants in South Denver, and over time the company noticed, so I was promoted to the creative director, and I had that role for eight years um, until this past June, end of June, marked, uh, my departure from them is very bittersweet, but I was, I was director of marketing, um, part of the leadership team. I had two direct report people under me, a designer and a content guy who missed them. And it was just a really, it was a fabulous career for, for me there. But well, the reason I wanted to be on my own was because I was, we were serving about 85 suppliers, wineries, importers, yeah. really fantastic book. I mean, we had Skernick Wines and Michael David Vineyards and yeah. um, 
and some really cool smaller guys like Peter, Peter Stoltman and Honada and the Hilt and, and just a fabulous portfolio. But what I noticed was a lot of wineries weren't producing marketing content that was super useful to our marketplace. So we were doing a lot of it in-house and that was fine and dandy and we were doing really good business, I think, but I really just started to believe deeply that the winery should be the one producing that kind of material. Yeah. And I think there's an opening in our industry for that type of service where, you know, especially with pandemic, a lot, I think the marketing person's like always the first person to go. And there also can be the most important, like obviously the wines are the most important. Well, but. So what was the difference between the, like the materials and the things that you would see coming out of the winery and what you actually needed in uh, that's such a good question. So we would get shipped boxes of like printed case cards and um, brochures and things like that. And like, I'm a wine nerd. I mean, now I'm a sommelier and I know enough about wine. You never know everything about wine, but I know a lot about wine. And we would get these things that just like, they just were not conveying the messaging and they also were not being used really by our salespeople. Was it um, accounts? Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, sales uh, accounts have specific requirements of what they'll yeah. allow. Um, and a lot of it ended up kind of just junking up the warehouse, junking up the displays and not being utilized. And it's not about like making a custom thing for every store. That's not really efficient, but really I think our industry has evolved into the digital era and they're trying to catch up, especially, you know, pandemic spurred all this, but you have like an 18 month, 24 month period where everyone's trying to like get to the place where they should have been evolving to over a 10 year period. Yeah. This. You work a lot on the tech side and, and we're both sort of tech nerds too. So, but they were sending a lot of hard copy material and they really needed to be sending us uh, banners for our store's uh, websites, you know, website banners and social media content and building their brands through social media channels and, and understanding better the way that a lot of people are receiving information and content today. Yeah. And and they just weren't even aware of like the major platforms. So they might've had a, you know, dedicated marketing individual on staff, but, but they didn't have the materials that we needed. And so I'm like, I gotta be able to work directly for the winery. So now I take winery clients and do stuff. And also what's great is we have a team. There's about six of us now and we all do different things, yep. but they can get a, on board with us. And then the investment is less than like a base salary for it sort of a, a newer, younger marketing person. So you just get one person who's very green or you get access to a whole team and, you know, cumulative it's less. Well, let's talk about that. What is the wine ship? So you just <laughs> plunge, you're like, so, you know, you're in this comfy, you know, and com like comfy company, you know, like you're, you're in a corporate, nice, big corporate company with amazing wineries. You're doing some cool stuff and you're like, I'm going to start my own thing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes too, oh my gosh. I'm like, I must be out of my mind. I'm so crazy. And I think every like entrepreneur feels that way. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, and the, the reason is because you are like, we, 
Those entrepreneurs are crazy. We have to have peanuts. <laughs> but, you know, and I just, and I'm so blessed for the, the company I worked for, Maverick Wine Company. I'm happy to say their name because mm-hmm. I still, I now have them as a client and a great relationship with them. It's just, they're just a wonderful company. And I'm so grateful to the owner for always kind of allowing me to do new and innovative things. And as much as I push that, it's like, I'm still in a Colorado based distribution company. It just didn't make sense yeah. um, to do the things I wanted to do. So the wine ship, when we started, well, honestly, I started the wine ship about 2014 and it was just the name of my Instagram account. Oh. Um, and I was using it to, you know, a wine, sh- a wine, a friendship made over wine is a wine ship. Right. So it was just a fun little play on words. And I was dreaming of having like a retail store someday where I could ship wine. And that, you know, I was like, I like this wine ship and I'm the captain. And I was, so I was using it to create a log of the wines I was tasting and the trips I was going on and kind of just as a fun social media thing. And then over time it built. And especially when we were on lockdown, I started really focusing on like, you know, putting more organized content, taking better photos and building it up. So there's about 8,500 followers now, which is awesome, but I, it's quality of follower as opposed to quantity. There's some really cool enga- engagement and interaction that actually happens there. I think people hear like creator or influencer and it's like kind of a negative connotation or they think that there's not a massive amount of work that goes into it. Yeah. And not everybody's the same, right? Like not everybody takes the time to research the why and create it. But anyway, so we're using a social media platform. It evolved, it grew and I realized that it was a platform where I was like, I can use this to create a business because I have the audience. These people are here and they're interested in this stuff. They're interested in learning about wine. They want accessible information about wine. I try to keep my um, notes neutral. It's not all about what I like. It's about like explaining the style of the wine and giving some kind of practical, applicable information to people. So the first thing that we did when I started was we we organized our first public tasting event in Denver because I want to, in addition to serving the wineries, I also think making sure other people know about their wines is very important, especially the small guys, because people are inundated with big brands. They see on their digital advertising in the store, they see stacks and stacks and stacks of this yes. stuff. And that's all they know a lot of time. They they go to what they're comfortable with. They buy the same wine every day. They don't understand grape varieties. They don't understand regions. They don't understand cool versus warm climate. They don't understand about wine and why they like the things that they like. Yeah. So I thought that we were just going to be doing like events and, you know, on a regular basis, I thought I was going to do a huge wine festival and kind of like be an event production type side of things. And Thankfully, you know, you don't always get what you wish for, and it's about learning what what really makes sense. So the first event that we did, we did a California wine tasting at a a winery slash event space here in Denver, and we sold it out. We did a class portion first for like 40 people, and I had a winemaker, um, Ian Devereaux from Smith Devereaux in Napa Valley. He came in, and he worked with the chef there. They created like a food pairing and wine tasting experience. Um, and then after that, we transitioned the space and we had about a hundred people in for a, a California only tasting experience. And we did the flights in a different format. Cause you know, usually you go to like a wine tasting festival thing like that. And you have things either organized by producer and they each have their own table or it's like Chardonnay is over here. Sparkling wines are over here. Rosé yeah. is over there. Cabs over there. And I didn't want to do that because I felt like you get people who go, Oh, I don't like Chard. So I'm not even going to go over there and they skip and they miss out on like, maybe they never had Chablis. Not that we had Chablis because it was all California, but you know what I mean? 
Yeah. So I wanted to get, try some. So we did like thematic tasting flights at each station where there was like four, I think five stations because the winemaker that was originally the only producer there, he had, um, he had his own station, but then there were four other stations and there was like the dreamy flight, the classic flight, the sexy flight and the <laughs> rebel flight. So they each had kind of their own personality and it put the wines, each one was a complete tasting flight of eight, eight, nine wines. So you had like a, a bubbly, you know, acidic light, high, mm -hmm. high acid whites, then you went into shard and rosé and then light red, light bodied reds all the way down the line to, you know, your big bold cabins in and that kind of stuff. And so it got people to try things that maybe they would have skipped before. And I, and I really liked that. And, and since then, you know, we've been doing private events and really putting these wines in front of people. So on the back of the house, we're working with the wineries to kind of build up their messaging and their brand story and how they're going to market and what their revenue channels are. Like that's yeah. the distribution side in me is like, how do you, you can't, you, it's not enough. You can't just make good wine anymore, unfortunately. And have a cool label. Those yeah. things are not enough to make the brand work. You have to position yourself. You have to have the outreach channels. You have to have an understanding of how how the internet works as it relates to wine. And it, you have to have it strategically placed in front of the right people. Or they'll so, never find it. That's right. No. And uh, so the, the attendees of this event, they were, they were consumers and trade? It was 90% consumers. Yeah. And that is what taught me the lesson about not having a big festival because <laughs> in my career, I had put together so many trade tastings. Oh my gosh. I ordered branded spit cups with my logo thinking everybody was going to use those. Yeah. No, they don't spit. They they don't spit. It wasn't like, it wasn't a total drunk fest because I really did train the staff to not like overboard yeah. people, but it was so much more of a social event. And like, yeah. I'm not sure that a hundred people, how much of a takeaway there was, as far as people really like Im being immersed in the wines, we sold some wine. It was good. But I honestly came away from that thinking, I think we would have been more successful with an impact of memory made with and a connection with a specific winery if it had been fewer wines and fewer people Yeah, done more frequently. So is that, and is that the focus moving forward, sort of like concentrated tastings and, and getting people yes. to, to, to make a connection with the wines? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking closely at um, a couple different venues. We're going to open a tasting room in Denver, Where and that'll be the home for these things. And I really, I want space for 40 standing and, you know, 24, 26 people seated. Because I think that those, yeah. you know, those cool, intimate little wine wine bars, wine tasting room, I'm calling it a tasting room because I think then people, we don't have that in Denver. We have wine bars, but we don't have places where you can come in, taste, because of COVID, you can actually sell a couple bottles of wine. So I think it'll be a great space for, you know, when winemakers start coming back to the market to have them come in, to show a flight. Yeah. Well, I think it's something that us and the people in the industry take for granted, and that is tasting. You know, most yes. consumers really don't get the opportunity to taste through several different types of wine and see what they like and what they don't and start to form opinions about them. They, they, you know, you go to a, a wine bar and you might have two glasses of wine, maybe three if you're with me, maybe four. Yeah, right. Same. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, you know, a lot of people go and they, they pick, they have to pick one glass of wine and that's it, you know, and, um, and you know, they don't get a chance to be exposed to a lot of different profiles. So what, so right. um, 
so there are tons of cool regions. I mean, you're exposed through, you know, what you're doing now. And also Maverick Wine Company has such a beautiful portfolio. Oh my gosh. And thankfully he still lets me buy wine at wholesale. So thank you, Flawed. My dad is very happy about that too. (laughs) Um, But what are some of the coolest like wines, wine trends, wine regions that you're seeing right now? Oh man. Well, I just have always been such a fan of Beaujolais. I talk about it all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. I love how much more aware people are getting of Cru Beaujolais lately. I'm seeing it actually having a spot on the wine list a lot more. So it's not like that's a new region by any means, but I think people always associate, like they think Beaujolais Nouveau and those, you know, those wines are not usually, someone just told me I need to try again because there was some better quality stuff out there. But you know, I'm talking, man, they're not that expensive. They're not that much money. So I'm a huge fan of that. Um, I was joking with one of my friends last night who's a wine rep for Maverick and he's like, man, I wish we still had this producer that we used to sell because they made orange wine back way back whenever and maybe like five, six years ago and I couldn't give that stuff away. And now every account and he's in downtown Denver on premise and he's like, every account wants orange wine and I'm like, dang it. So it's funny. And we were, you know, we're talking about natural wine too as the trend and a buzzword because I gave an mm-hmm. online class. We also do that so we can reach people that are around the country. Yeah. Um, we did an online class on sustainable, organic, and biodynamic wines uh, because education is a huge part of it, right? And like yeah. you said, exposing people to multiple wines, letting them taste things side by side is the only way to form an opinion. I'm such an advocate of that. Yeah. Um, but we were joking that, I mean, in the class performed well as far as sales and that kind of thing, but we were like, if we had called this natural wines, we probably would have been like 50 people online instead of 20. But <laughs> I, refuse, I refuse to do that though, because I think that um, as trendy as natural wines as a concept is, I think that there's just yeah. a big misunderstanding on, of actual winemaking yep. and how wine is made and what that terminology actually should and does mean. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that it's the responsibility of people like us to explain it to people because it's so it's just saying like um natural food products you know made out of natural chicken it's like well chicken's natural natural yeah really anything (laughs) it doesn't mean anything (laughs) however if it's you know pasture raised and they explain what the chickens are being fed and they explain kind of all these practices that are happening on the farm then that's like oh okay that actually means something now but you have to to make wine not natural like you have, yes. to, you have to go out of your way you have to go like, out use pesticides. Yeah, yeah, and I tell people it's like most well-made, family-owned or boutique producers, they're not putting crap in their wines. They don't want to. Right. They don't choose to. They don't need to. It's like, it's pretty uh, It's pretty interesting to see how, how people can be led astray. And I hate that too. With the, there's a lot of fear-mongering on social media advertising from certain brands that I will not name, but they say things like, you know, no sugar added, no, like all this stuff. It's like people don't only do chapelization in Germany. I mean, like, yeah, you know, and it's, it's for a specific it's, style of wine, unless you're buying really crappy wine made really in an area that's not really good. So, like, and, and it's like you pay for what you get. Like, if you're going to go to McDonald's to buy chicken, you're going to get what you're going to get. And then if you're going to go to, you know, Costco and buy a case that costs 50 bucks or 60 bucks, you're going to get what you pay for. Right. And quite honestly, you know, I like my chicken nuggies sometimes. Hey, nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Wine sometimes. You know what I mean? Like there's a place for it all, but just know what yeah. you're getting when you're when you're going into it. Like right. 
there it makes sense <laughs> yeah and i think you know education leads to better drinking people as yeah. the one it's pretty easy to get someone into a better bottle of wine and to raise them from an eight dollar investment to a twelve dollar bottle with just a little conversation and tasting and understanding yeah absolutely well, well, i'm so excited for your new venture and i'm very you know. excited for the new tasting room i'm going to come out to denver and we will have right. a class here together <laughs> Well, actually, since it's a tasting room, we'll have 10. Oh, oh yeah. Well, that's what a tasting room. You can have a flight at 11 a.m. It's totally normal. You can do it in wine country. Now you can do it here in Denver. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Montana, for, for joining the show. Um, to all of our, our viewers and listeners, um, it's The Wine Ship, and the website is uh, thewineship.com. Correct. Thank you, Amy. Thanks, Montana.